The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Business is changing, and new marketing avenues are opening up every day. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show that brings you the innovators and trendsetters, taking us to a new age of marketing, media, and social business strategy. Welcome to Market Edge with Glenn Engler. Get ready to hear perspectives on social media and digital marketing that will help you gain insight into the unique opportunities and challenges facing marketers and thought leaders today. Now, now, please welcome your host, a Fortune 500 industry figure in the marketing and communications world for more than 25 years and chief executive officer of Digital Influence Group, the host of Market Edge, Glenn Engler. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group, a full-service digital marketing that helps companies unlock the social of their brands and amplify its impact to drive business results. Today, I'll be talking about sports marketing with Wick Grosbeck, who became managing partner, governor, and CEO of the Boston Celtics in December 2002, after he organized and led a local investment group that purchased that team. Prior to purchasing the Celtics with his partners, Wick served as a general partner of Highland Capital Partners, co-managing $1.8 billion in venture capital funds. He led successful investments in medical technology, software, and healthcare services. His earlier career included four years as a venture capital lawyer in Silicon Valley and two years as a manager in a public biotech company. In 2010, Wick became chairman of the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, the largest vision research center in the world. Wick's family has been devoted to research and educational initiatives relating to blindness and other conditions for many years, and they were honored to endow the Grosbeck Professorship in Pediatric Hematology Oncology at the Harvard Medical School, currently held by Leonard Zahn, MD, a leader in stem cell research and cancer biologics. Wick's wife, Corinne, is founder and chair of the Trust Board at Perkins School for the Blind and served for many years on the Trust Board of Children's Hospital Foundation. Wick and Corinne are also involved in the Boston Celtic Shamrock Foundation, Boys and Girls Club of Boston, National Braille Press, Horizons for Homeless Children, Cradles to Crayons, and the Lovelane Special Needs Writing Program. It's great to have you on Market Edge, Wick. Welcome. Thanks, Glenn. I've known you an awful long time, uh, since way back when in Weston, and it's, uh, it's great to be speaking with you today. Likewise, this is great. So, uh, will you talk a little bit about your role and responsibilities as the managing partner, governor, and CEO of the Boston Celtics? Well, I feel responsible for things that go wrong. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> when there's success, when there's success uh, there are lots of people who've been involved. Um, but my, my partners and I feel very deeply that we've got a very special opportunity here to take care of something almost as trustees of, a, of an important organization that can do a lot in the community and also can entertain people and, and maybe win a championship every now and then. And there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. I share that with uh, co-owners and with business managers and basketball people, um, but I feel a lot of responsibility myself. 
the show was out in 2002, and as a Boston kid, I remember the, the rallying cry. The primary objective was to return the team to contention for the 17th World Championship, a goal I'm proud to say the Celtics achieved in 2008. And as an aside, as a Boston kid, as you referenced, I know I speak for many when I say thank you. Um, and uh, it, that was the first championship in more than two decades. Talk a little bit about some of the changes that you and the and your organization made in terms of business strategy from when you purchased the team in 2002 leading up to the championship season in 2008? Well, I think a lot of it did have to do with marketing and with intention uh, from sort of the top, from the ownership uh, perspective. Uh, this isn't to draw a distinction with the previous owners whose family, you know, they had won two championships back in the 80s. So it's just to say how we approached it uh, rather than drawing a distinction. But I know that we approached it starting in 03 with a revamp of the business side and by hiring a fantastic president, Rich Gotham, who is a sales and marketing expert, uh, but not from the sports world. And Rich and I and others rebuilt the business side to be oriented towards the customer and to be fueled by technology and good database and eventually social media initiatives that's what we did on the business side. It sort of was a, an updating. On the basketball side, we, we really wanted to focus on putting everything we could, all the resources we could that we generated on the business side, into basketball so that the product, the team, was as good as, good as it could possibly be. And, and that might have hurt the bottom line in some years, but it probably improved the basketball product. And uh, eventually we made it to the finals and, and won the championship. So it's all been kind of an interesting ride. <laughs> can imagine. Um, post-2008, between 2008 and now, were there changes in the priorities or strategies that you saw once you got to that top of the hill and got the 17th championship, besides the obvious thirst for the 18th? You're right. I mean, you know, you, you can admire your ring, you can admire the trophy <laughs> and all that, uh, only so long. You've got to keep running the business. We, we actually got back to the finals in 2010, and, and um, you know, we're trying to get back there again if we possibly can. But I wouldn't say the priorities changed. Uh, we realized that it was uh, sort of a long climb to get to that final round, and then we realized that these guys won't be around forever. So I guess we've uh, we focused on um, you know trying to maintain this team's quality as long as we can, and eventually we'll need to rebuild it on the basketball side. From a business perspective, we've just redoubled and redoubled again our efforts to connect with our fans and. We really tell the stories of these players. We really let the fans find out who Rondo is, who Paul Pierce is, who Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett are, and and the subsidiary players as well. And the more people connect with the team, instead of just seeing a green and white uniform, but they see the, the man wearing the uniform uh, and the family behind him, I think the more people will watch the team and, and support the team through thick and thin, you know, win or lose. And that's sort of uh, the way we've marketed the team. So to stay on that theme around marketing, you've now been almost a, a decade. How have you seen the marketing of the teams and um, specifically the Boston Celtics evolve um, since you took over control in 2002? Yeah, I think it almost seems like the dark ages back then. Um, <laughs> it was before really the social media explosion. We did make a concerted effort back then to uh, connect our, our players and our fans, but now it's just so much more dramatically easy and, in a sense, risky. Um, you know, if, if it goes awry, if a player tweets out something that he, he probably would regret tweeting out, you know, that can really do some damage. But 
but we we've really uh, and it's not me. I've I've been learning this along the way, but the people who work with me on the business side have been at the forefront of the social media, and I'm lucky that they're there because it wasn't my idea. Um, but we're way out on Twitter, way out on Facebook, Pinterest now, everything, and um, uh, and it's enabled our fans to really connect. We've got over four million, I think, close to five million Facebook friends. Yeah, and uh, that's really I. I didn't think I'd ever have more than about 50 friends, and I've got 50. So it's really, uh, it, it's amazing. But it's it's enabled the Celtics to really grow its worldwide brand. We've been a worldwide brand since Red Auerbach took the team over to Europe and Russia in the 60s, and uh, and and then Larry Bird in the 80s. And it, it's, the Celtics really are a worldwide brand, and the NBA is a worldwide league in a sense. And uh, we're just trying to fuel that uh, more and more every year. So you referenced um, the Facebook following. It's the second largest Facebook following of any team in the NBA, and I believe it's the fourth largest Twitter following. Uh, and, you, and the Celtics have clearly been out in front in terms of social media. Talk a little bit more about how, what's your philosophy of engaging the sports fan via social media? Well, again, I'm, I'm fortunate that we have brilliant people, Peter uh, Stringer and Rich Goss and Sean Sullivan and others who have really led this for us. Um, we enable our fans to connect more with the team, so they are able to learn more, see exclusive content, uh, play games and contests along with our team. So uh, if before a game, you can register your picks for who's going to score the most points or have the most assists, and if you're correct, you can win points and prizes. Uh, we'll sell tickets on Facebook, and if you buy uh, a ticket to a game, you can let your friends know that you're going to the game, and they can receive a discounted offer. So we use it as really a commercial channel uh, as well, if people want it to be that. If they just want to learn more and just enjoy the Celtics' uh, aura and flow of information, we're glad to have them do that too, because we're happy for our fans, whether or not they're buying a ticket that exact moment. We, you know, we exist for our fans, and, and that's uh, the way we make them feel. So that's our theory, and we're actually the second biggest Facebook following, I think, of any pro team. So it's not just the NBA. So we're really proud of that, and we want to maintain that connection and, and have people find that it's worthwhile. And it seems like you've used all of your, the marketing channels. Obviously, social is clearly at the core here, but all of the marketing channels to broaden the engagement with the fan uh, before, obviously during the game, but it seems like there's an incredible growth and focus before and after the, the actual game versus just during it. Right, that's right. And, it's, uh, and, and it, it also uh, extends not just electronically, but it's actually in the real world. We're out in the community, and, and we don't do this for marketing reasons. We do it because it's the right thing to do, and we want to do it, but we're out supporting more than 600 charities in greater Boston and New England. I mean, we are, our, our staff, our players are visiting hospitals revamping schools and playgrounds and doing things uh, on, on days when we don't have games. And so we do this this kind of thing uh, because it's like breathing and because it's, we want to do it and it's our responsibility and our love. Uh, but it ends up being a, a way for people to feel connected to the Celtics out in the community as well. So it's not just electronic. It's also terrestrial. It's also real-world activities. And it all comes back to what is the experience at the game, if you're viewing the game or if you're at the game, um, you know, how does how is it? I think that's one message I would have. It, it can't all be Facebook and Twitter. You've got to have the real meat um, there, the real substance. And then once you have that, then the other social media uh, channels can help. Absolutely. A bunch more questions, but right now we're going to take a very short commercial break. 
Please stand by, and we'll be right back with Wick Grosbeck and more of the conversation. Market Edge will return in just a moment. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. On the road. On the boat, working out, or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Blog, blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. We're back with more Market Edge, bringing you the best and brightest voices in digital marketing, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Glenn Engler. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Glenn Engler, and I'm here today with Whit Grossbeck, partner, governor, and CEO of the Boston Celtics, talking about sports marketing. Okay, Wick, you referenced a little earlier about the, the power, but also some of the, the questions and 
in social media, and you mentioned if someone tweets out a comment and um, whatnot. So um, I can only imagine the, the the challenge, not only the opportunity of the personality of the players, but their with their connection to the team, um, that a potential comment could be perceived as having harm to the organization's image. Do you have social media guidelines for the Celtics players and staff, and how does that how do you go about educating them? We do uh, have guidelines. They're they're carefully written, they're explained uh, and shared with the players, and we, and we get their input back. We, it, this isn't a, you know, a dictatorship. It's a partnership, really, with the players in many, many ways. And uh, so we look at it together, and we, we, we think together in a, in a meeting, a business meeting, with them, uh, burnished and, and portrayed in business, and not just to the team. And, and we've had incidents in the past, I can think of one, where Something went, it was after a, a warning to be careful, and it was very shortly after that somebody did something well-meaning, but probably not the best idea, and uh, we fined the player. And everybody else knew that there was a fine, and everybody in the locker room uh, realized that we were serious. And 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 I think um, you know it's just the way things go when you're running a business, and uh, and and people moved on. And but but uh, that's I think that's the way you have to do it. And uh, but we we think our guys are the story. They are. People we're proud to have in Celtics uniforms, and we're proud to have our fans connect with them and learn more about them. And so that's sort of the way, you know, it works really well at least 99% of the time. And every now and then there's a guardrail, and you bump into the guardrail, and you, you, you drive a little straighter next time. It's it's a really interesting point of view that you're taking because we spent a lot of time working with companies about their activating their employees as brand ambassadors and how do you think about the power of social and a lot of organizations, especially in those that um, are in regulated industries like financial services or pharma or healthcare, feel paralyzed about it. And so it's really interesting and refreshing to hear that you've got a, a system and an engagement where it's a partnership. It's something we preach a lot, which is they're going to do it. It's incredibly important. It may be 99% of the time, and, and I think engaging with them makes um, tons of sense. Really interesting. Um, you had a player last year in Shaquille O'Neal who is clearly one of the big brands that's out there. And from his strike the post not in Harvard Square to him announcing his retirement on um, Twitter and Tout, um, he really knew how to engage the audience and seemed to bring a, a huge uh, positive light on not only his own brand but on the Boston Celtics. Did you guys know what you were getting when you, from a social power and marketing power, when you brought him into the Boston Celtics? I don't think we did. And, and now that I do know him better, and I just saw him last weekend briefly in Orlando, but he went out of his way, and I went out of my way to to have a warm little conversation. He's just a brilliant human being and um, and a great entertainer and a, and a business conglomerate. But, you know, I feel so much warmth coming from him. I think he means well and and does well and does good things for charities. Uh, for him to come to Boston, I think he took it to another level. He had been in Phoenix and Cleveland before, worthy cities, but probably not like the Los Angeles Lakers where he had been previously. And so maybe he went just a little more dormant in Phoenix and Cleveland. I'm not sure. But when he came to Boston, I think he decided he was going to Adopt the entire, you know, all 16 banners and 17 banners at the time, and all, all, uh, all the green and white, and he was going to become Mr. Celtic, and he really did, and it was so much fun to watch. I wish it could have lasted longer, and we miss him around here. Yeah. 
Well, we all do from the from the fan standpoint. So going back to something you said early on where you were talking about um, the organizational strategy and you talked about the business side fueled by technology and data. And the, um, it, the, your ownership team certainly has um, talked about data and technology a lot in, in the driving the business. How do you think about making business decisions for the Celtics in the coming years, thinking about data and technology, be that in arena, mobile, fan conversations. Talk a little bit about that. I think people would be interested. I, I will. Um, I would start by saying most of our business decisions that are data-driven you know, might even start on the basketball side. That's an entire different conversation, but the notion of money ball and analyzing mm. what players you want to have on your team and, and what type of game you play. On the business side, uh, and we do we do that money ball stuff, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, just like the other <laughs> uh, But, uh, you know, on the business side, we are dynamically pricing our tickets. We are trying to assess uh, what we should do for a year that we get to the playoffs, uh, what we should do with playoff ticket, ticket pricing and season ticket renewals, which last year I think we were at 97%. You know, it was just an amazing number. Wow. Uh, some CEOs, if they say, if they hear that they've got a 97% renewal, said, well, that's actually, uh, you know, maybe we priced them too low. I didn't feel that way. I felt it was time for our fans to have a break on prices, and, and we wanted to welcome them all back. But those decisions, we don't make them seat of the pants. We make them uh, by taking in the data, what are tickets selling for on the secondary market, what's our demand like. We survey our fans, so we get data from season ticket holders, very frequently, we want to know exactly how they feel pro and con uh, about the team, and, and really the negative comments, if any, are, are more useful than than the usual positive stuff. It, it really helps us drive the business. I think when you run a business like this, and I'm not saying that we do it perfectly, we're hoping to do it at least well, um, when you run it like this, you, you probably uh, need to drop the the sensitivity, drop your defensiveness, um, and, and just be out there and ask people how we're doing and how we can do better. And that's been a learning process for me because that hasn't always been my natural style. And so I'm trying to get better at humility and uh, trying to get better at uh, you know uh, encouraging people to tell me what we're not doing quite right. And you know, as we go along that journey, uh, hopefully that's going to pay off. Well, one of the seems like a uh, trend in several of the arenas and several of the discussions in sports marketing that we've seen is around how mobile is changing the fan experience and the team dynamic. Um, can you talk about how the Boston Celtics are thinking about the mobile platforms and smartphones and iPads and tablets? Yeah, we're really working hard on that, and so are other teams in the arena. We just had meetings down at the All-Star Game, which is sort of a convention for our league, uh, where teams get together about how hard it is to actually get enough wireless capacity into the confined space of an arena to actually enable everybody to connect who wants to connect. And some arenas around the league are having difficulty. Um, no matter what you do to it, it's it's almost like mathematically difficult to get all those people online. People really want to get connected. They want to see custom replays at their seats. They want to be able to order food or souvenirs uh, mm. right there. And they want to be able to uh, tweet and, and have it come up on the scoreboard, which we do. We have charity. You can uh, text for charity, and um, you know, and, and, and we do that in the game, and we have contests in the game. We're going to do more of that. We've got to get the capacity there, but I, I think we're doing pretty well in Boston. Um, 
But you know, I, I think we'll be better at it next year and better at it the year after. I think we're still a work in progress. Really interesting. So uh, you mentioned earlier on about the the um, individual players telling stories, and then you, I know personally, and your wife have been active participants in the community and incredibly generous with your time and the team and the players. Um, and so I know you're the chairman of the Mass Ioneer Infirmary, and, and will you talk a little bit about the philosophy around the Boston Celtic Shamrock Foundation and the 600 charities, I believe was the number you mentioned earlier? I'd, I'd love to. Uh, my partner's co-owner, Steve Paliuka, is the chairman of the Shamrock Foundation, and he has really led or co-led, well, probably led our community efforts. He is a, uh, a staunch um, uh philanthropist with his family, and and uh, I'm proud to have Steve run the Shamrock Foundation, and I do what he tells me, and it's it's a very long list. <laughs> but so anyway, there's been a lot of people involved in the community, and what's really nice is every year you get a couple new players in, and most of them come in and say, we've got new ideas, and we want to go out in the community, um, you know, and we it, it, it's great when our players, and they, they, this group certainly does this, uh, tell us what they're doing and uh, sort of challenges us to give them the logistical support they might need um, with a charitable group of owners, my co-owners, and it's a real pleasure. Um, we're almost trying to, we, we don't cut people back, but we're almost trying to manage the flow of charitable things uh, that our staff and our, our, our players want to do. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, Steve is a, is a real leader in this regard. His partners at Bain Capital, several of whom are in the ownership group, are real leaders in this regard, and um, and it's a pleasure to be doing it with them. And what role do you feel that sports organizations in general, and certainly the Celtics, um, should play in the community with uh, charitable organizations? Well, we, you're nice to ask. We we feel very strongly, and particularly the Celtics, who really led the way in uh, really the integration of the NBA and pro sports. We had, I think, the first we drafted the first. African American player number one. We had the first uh, African American all starting five uh, on the floor. The first African American head coach. I mean, we didn't. I'm sure I wasn't there, but I'm sure Red Auerbach didn't do that because uh, people were from a particular place or a particular backgrounds. Because it was the best thing to do for the Celtics as a basketball team. But that kind of color blindness or integration or whatever you want to call it, uh, has been a hallmark of our team, and we're very proud of it, and we love going out into Boston and setting that example and encouraging people to break down old barriers if they still exist. And, and we love being out. You know, a lot of our players come from difficult circumstances and are particularly proud and compelled to go to difficult parts of Boston and roll up their sleeves and dig in in any way they possibly can, and it's a real honor to be part of that. Hmm. Well, we're, I know we're high maintenance fans in Boston, but I got to say we're pretty spoiled with the uh, the four professional sports teams. Um, gobs of more questions, but unfortunately we're out of time. So I want to thank you, Wick, for being my guest today, and thanks to everyone in the audience for listening to today's conversation. If you have any questions or would like to talk further about the topic of today's show, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Glenn Engler or on my blog www.glennengler.com and visit www.webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time on Tuesdays to tune in to episodes of Market Edge. Thank you, Wick, and until next time, I'm out. <laughs>